when we got done, uh, Nancy said to me, she's like, your class seemed kind of disjointed. And where you started with talking about the, the cross and the switchblade and why you love mafia movies didn't really seem to have a whole lot of a whole lot to do with where you wound up. And um, I thought about it for a second. I was like, well, yeah, that's that's probably true because we ended just at the point where I was about to pivot to try to kind of tie everything together so that it would make sense why I started talking about these communities that I knew nothing about that completely fascinated me as a kid. So before we get into the next section, I, um, I kind of want to finish last week's class because <laughs> I think it'll make a whole lot more sense. Um, so this is, this is where we were talking about some of the tendencies that communities have just by the nature of people being together that they tend to expose us to disproportionate support for our own ideas, uh, especially if they are ideas related to why the community exists. If you go to a church, you hear a lot about why your church is a good place to be and why you guys believe what you do and all of the things that you share as a community. It's part of what keeps the community together, but it also uh, can create that, that bubble that we hear, that information bubble that we all hear about. Um, communities also shield us from the disagreement of outsiders. Again, because the community is the place where we share common goals and common ideas and common interests. We don't hear as much about the people that don't share those because they're not part of the community. Good things about that, bad things about that. They cause us to disregard whatever disagreement we do encounter. It's very easy for us to say, oh, you know, you guys are wrong, you guys don't understand. Lots of reasons for that, but when, when you've got a group of people that support you, when you've got those voices that disagree with you, it's easier to go back to the voices that support you and stick with what they say and disregard those people. And then finally, they quash the development of disagreement from within. And again, when you have somebody within the group that shares those beliefs and ideals, if you've got that one person or that small group of people that suddenly disagrees with something, especially if it's a core belief, you tend to want to put that to rest some way whether that's finding the common ground, convincing them that they need to come back into the fold, or casting them out, you tend to try to, you try to keep the peace. If you're, in a, if you're in a community, you don't, it's, it's not comfortable to be in a community where there's lots of tension and there's lots of disagreement. Um, so, all of those things create confirmation bias on a group scale. You know, we've, we've talked about that a couple of weeks ago and what that looks like in our personal lives, but that's, this is what confirmation bias looks like in a group. And Jesus knows that the church is going to have these tendencies because they're just built into the system. It's just the way the system works. Um, 
so how does how does Jesus give us advice? What kind of advice does he give us to combat the tendencies toward confirmation bias in the community that's the church? Any thoughts? Anything jump to mind? I have a the thing that comes to mind right away for me is uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Where he yep. kind of blows up that idea of your community is not just this small subset of the population. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's that's one of the ways. Um, I mean, Jesus and Paul's words both constantly push Christians toward a renewal of community that pushes members of the existing group, pushes us, the church, towards people that they see as not like them. Because communities have this tendency to be built around people like us, whether it's people that look like us, people that live in the same places, people that make about the same money. They, they form around those common things. And, and churches form around common things in addition to the gospel. You know, we, this is largely a Williamson County, Southern Davidson County church. There are people that come from farther than that, but it's largely that demographic. Um, it is largely a pretty well-off demographic. It is a very family-oriented demographic because we've got a great youth group here. That's the reason we're here. When we, when we came, we were uprooting one of our kids from a youth group he really liked, and so he kind of got the lion, he got the big vote. And he's like, I like this David Rubio guy. I want to go here. And that's how we wound up at Otter Creek because they had a great program for people like him. But Jesus continually pushes us to people that aren't like us. This is one of the ways he does it. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors, and remember, they hated the tax collectors, doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Did not even pagans do that? Be perfect, Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that last sentence is important because what he's, what he's saying is that one of the ways that the heavenly Father is perfect is that he encompasses all of this. You know, he's, he, part of his perfection is sending the sun and the rain for the just and the unjust. He's not just doing things only for the people that are doing what he wants them to do. He does it for everybody. And so if you are being perfect as your father is perfect, you are not only loving your neighbors, you're not only loving the people at church, you're not only loving the people that you like at church, you're loving everybody, you're greeting everybody, you are getting outside of those other reasons that we form community, and you are continually expanding that. And that's where, you know, talk about the Good Samaritan, that's another way of looking at that. Um, because it's like, you want community? Be like that guy. This is the guy that you want to make community with. This is the guy that your neighbor. It's always a little odd to me that the question is, 
Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus finishes that story not by saying, okay, now which guy was your neighbor? He's saying, which, which person in this story was the neighbor to the man, to the, to the victim? And that's a little bit of a different question, but, it's, but he's basically saying, build a community with people that look like that. It's not necessarily the people that look like you, because you know, you're the you're you look like the people that passed him by. Build the community, build your communities around people that look like the Samaritan, that, that act like the Samaritan, even if they look like the people you don't want to have community with. Great Commission does the same sort of thing. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded of you. And yes, that's about scaling the kingdom and making it bigger. Yes, it's about making sure that everybody knows about it. But there's an implicit message in there that I don't think we focus on enough, which is go, get out of here. Get away from the people that you grew up with who look like you, who believe like you, and get to know the people who look and live in ways that you can't even imagine yet. And so that's, for, for me, that's where that message ties back to uh, my fascination with what gang culture in New York must have looked like when I was eight years old. Is that's a, It was a tendency that I've always had to be fascinated with people that don't look like me, or that, that not, not that don't look like me, but that don't live like me, that have a different culture, a different set of communities that I just don't understand. Because there's gonna be something in those communities that gives our community renewal, because we're constantly Bringing, we're constantly bringing in fresh ideas. Uh, Paul says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitalities to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And I love, I love the the hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels because that echoes the language in Matthew 25 at the judgment where everybody goes, we were looking for you, Jesus, but we completely missed you. How did we, how did we miss you? Where, where, did we, where were you and we didn't see you? And Paul is saying the same thing here. This... This is where you see these people even when you don't know it. So it's constantly get out of get out of your bubble, get out of your comfort zone, bring in those other people, be with the people, be with the people who aren't like you, and specifically orient yourselves toward being around people that you want to think are less than you. Because you want you want to get you want to get past that feeling of them being less than or them being other than. You're looking for the ways that you can all be the same group. The neither the neither fail the neither male nor female, the neither uh, 
you know, neither slave nor free that Paul talks about. That's, that's the goal that you're looking for. This is one of the ways that the church is to avoid the dangers of the insularity of groupthink. Uh, I, I never quite got to the concept of groupthink last week. Fletch, I don't think I ever actually said the word, but that's where you went immediately when we were talking after. And, and you, were, um, you started to give a great example of groupthink on a national scale. Would you care to kind of... I haven't thought about it. Oh, well, oh, you were, yeah. <laughs> well, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, I was... Well, that's actually uh, more accurate. Okay. The Cuban Missile Crisis response was learning the, the bad lessons of the Bay of Pigs. The Bay of Pigs, that's right. Bay of Pigs was for, yeah. Where the great thing was, you know, we, we need to do this. We need to take Again, that government and all that, and um, miscalculation after miscalculation, which is a disaster. Yeah. Which led to um, the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is getting very different. Right. By constantly bringing in voices, particularly from one direction, um, the natural I think the natural tendencies of groups is, uh, especially groups where there's money involved to keep things running, is aspirational. You look to you look to the people who are wealthier than you, the people who are more successful financially than you, and those are the voices you want to bring in message for the church is, look in the other direction. Bill? Yeah, I mean, on a practical note, on that exact point, when they're trying to set up the church in the early church, and James too, I mean, he just hits that head on. He says, if someone comes into your assembly with gold rings and fine apparel, and someone else comes in and filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one with fine clothes, you give him a good seat and tell the other one to sit over here, you know, you're doing exactly the opposite of what you're supposed to do. I mean, it's exactly yeah. dead on. Yeah, I mean, every, every time you see something about the structure of the group in the church, it's always focusing in that direction. It's never look for, the, look for the successful people to tell you how to build a big church. It is look for the others and bring them in. All right, so now let's talk about what happens to us as a community when we don't do that. Let's talk about the allure of certainty. All right, what is certainty? Somebody define, define certainty for me. Full confidence. Confid what was the first? Full confidence. Full confidence, all right. Anybody else? Okay, it's being it's being sure that you know something, it's being sure that you're right, and maybe even more important than that. Oh, well, Ambrose Bierce, uh, there is a book, are any of you familiar with it? It's a little thin book, it's about a hundred years old now, I guess. Um, maybe not quite that old, but pretty close, called The Devil's Dictionary. So there was a satirist back in the satirist back in the early part of the 20th century named Ambrose Bierce. And this guy had 
what we now call snark, just down to a science. And he published essentially a glossary, it's a, it's a humor book, a glossary of terms just mocking everything. I mean, this, this guy was, you, you heard the, you know, I'm, I'm not prejudiced, I hate everybody equally. That was this guy, right? And I mean, he really, he really kind of established that type of humor in American culture. And he had a definition for positive as an adjective. Uh, so the, the, the adjective form of certainty um, as being mistaken at the top of one's voice. <laughs> it, certainty is the conviction that you cannot possibly be wrong. And so what does it feel like to be in a conversation with somebody who is convinced that they cannot possibly be wrong. Exhausting. <laughs> Exhausting. <laughs> we have someone hit nobody knows who. <laughs> Which means that everybody knows. That <laughs> that this is not a way to go, but the expression is often wrong, but never now. <laughs> but it does mean that there is no conversation. Right. Because there's no. Yeah, there's no exchange of ideas because that is the close. And so we talk about the weather, but we really can't have much of a meaningful relationship because there's no there's no weather. Right. Exactly. So yes. Uh, in a longer view, we have a certainty about how it all turns out. Mm -hmm. with the new heaven and the new earth uh, later on. And there are others that will speak about a person being on the wrong side of history, as if they know how history will turn out. Mm -hmm. And I think some of them do not believe that there will be a new heaven and a new earth created by God. And so they would say that, you are on the wrong side of history, and we know how it turns out, and we're going to move things in that direction because it is inevitable to us. So it is with certainty that that's happening. Right. And, 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 and there are many times when I believe that, well, I, I never believe that I'm on the wrong side of history, but there are plenty of times when I believe the rest of you might be on the wrong side of history. Uh, this, this, that's how things work. But there's always this doubt in my mind about how history is actually going to turn out. So I am, you know, even, even though I might behave, is if I think you are on the wrong side of history and I'm on the right side of history, not, you know, there's, there's that little bit of humility, uh, for lack of a better word, that, that, keeps, that keeps the conversation going. I guess would be a way to say that. Uh, part of my job is I look at I look at things, structures, and cars, trucks, whatever, and I take people's stories of how an event happened, usually an insurance company, and uh, they're certain that it happened this way because that's their understanding. Or limited, they have a limited understanding of how their house was built, and how a shingle is installed to a roof, or whatever. But I know typically, uh, more about it 
than they do, and I see it differently. And uh, where they have full certainty that they saw or know that it happened a certain way, I know that that can't happen. And so that's, I have to deal with this every day. <laughs> so, yes, question. I've heard this several times. I don't know who, who originally said it. I think I heard it most recently when Bill Haslam said it in a conversation with John Meacham at Lipscomb. Remember that you might be wrong. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. And 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 going back to our first class, I would say I would change that to remember you are wrong. You just don't know about what yet. I don't think uh, we somebody that is just absolutely convinced that they are right and cannot be wrong and need no more information. I think we can pretty much agree that it feels like this. I, I assume, does anybody not know what this photo is from? Okay, this photo is from the Williamson County School Board meeting on Tuesday night. And these are two Christians who are telling a healthcare information worker, if I remember correctly, um, that they know where he lives and they know who he is. And the people behind them are chanting, we will not comply and no more masks. And the police are trying to get this guy safely to his car and because they recognized him immediately because he's the only person wearing a mask and get him out of the parking lot safely. This has been viewed more than, this video has been viewed more than three million times across the country. It's been on several cable news shows. Um, and so right now, this is what a largely white, well-off Christian in Davidson County looks like 
to the rest of the world. Whether they're right or wrong, the rest of the country thinks about the people that are in the churches, in this county, this morning, and thinks of them as people that will get in your face and go, we don't like you, and we know who you are, and we know where you live. Or even worse, we disagree, which is not like, I mean, it's just a, I'm just saying. Yeah. That's a, that's a, so, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to whether these people are right about what they believe, yeah, because, because sometimes you're certain because you're right. And sometimes you're certain it, and, and you're wrong. So that's, that's a diff the issue at hand is a completely different thing. The certainty at hand is what I'm talking about here. So this, this could be anybody. This just happens to be a specific place with people who look and worship very much like the people in this room. I, I don't know if it's true or not. I've, I've heard that either one or both really didn't have any children in the equation at all. And again, that I, there, there, is, there is some information about that, but again, that's not, that's not the issue that I'm dealing with. The issue that I'm dealing with is that these people are so convinced that they're right that they think this is a good idea. And so, yes? I think, for me, the, the certainty, being certain about something is not inherently right or wrong, in, in my opinion. Because okay. I think, as we talked about, you can feel certain of promises that God gives us. It's the, it's the way that you project your outward certainty. Mm -hmm. Are you projecting that in a way that says that I am certain of something, but I am open to discuss things with people? Or is it, I am certain of this, and I'm going to back it with a whole bunch of aggression, which is what happened. Right. To be certain of something is, is not a terrible thing, but when you back it with that amount of emotion and rage, that's that's when certainty becomes just, I, I just can't, I just can't, it's, it's awful. And the, I've seen so many people talking about this and it breaks my heart because I've seen so many talk, people talking about this in the context of Christians, and that man yeah. said something terrible to them, but you are going to hell, there's a special place in hell for you, and that's what they're saying to these people as they're walking in their cars, and I just think, this is so sad that this is this is what people are saying is, these are followers of Christ, and look what they're saying. No, right. no true Christian. Right. Well, see, and that's, and, 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 and yeah, and, exactly, and that's, because you know, we look at this, and we go, surely, Nobody from Otter Creek was in there, but that's not that's not a fair thing to say. It's not it's 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 not a fair thing to go. Well, these aren't true Christians because they're doing this. These are Christians, and they and and they are they are people who have publicly professed Christianity because they were easily recognizable because of their role in. Commercial Christianity, um, and so it's like you can't, we can't sit here and go, we're not like them because you can't get more like them demographically than we are. We, I mean, you know, I see people in here that could stand in a lineup with this guy. I see people in here that could stand in a lineup with this guy. We look like these people. And so this is, 
you know, that's, that's how we look to people when we are that certain about something. And I think, and I think there is a certainty, there's a certainty of faith where we believe the things that have been told to us by somebody that we, that we have decided we would rather be wrong than not be, I mean, Jesus is one, I'm, I am willing to be wrong about Jesus. You know, I could be. I mean, it, it could happen. I'm that's that's the one that's the hill I'm willing to die on. Um, being that certain about almost anything else, well, being that certain about anything, I'm not willing to. I, I wonder. I mean, it's maybe a discussion for another time. But I wonder what role the fear plays. Mm-hmm. And whether it's fear of being wrong or fear of consequences or fear of whatever, I, th- I think that would be an inter- interesting discussion of, and when it comes to certainty. Is like, what what role does fear play? Fear of other people, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever. So yeah, well, and that's and that's a huge role. I mean, we we've talked about that when we talk about why we hate being wrong so much and why we go to such great lengths to show that we are right because we're afraid of what being wrong looks like, we're afraid of what being wrong feels like, we're afraid of the social implications. Um, and yeah, and that's that's absolutely what's going on here. Um, and something else that I would say, because I look at this, one of, one of the reactions I have, I have, I have two reactions, one of which is a confession. Um, one of the reactions that I have here is I look at this and I wonder, what am I so willfully blind to that other people can see just like that in me that, I, that makes me look like, that maybe not, maybe not get in your face as you're trying to leave a parking lot, but behave in a way because I'm so sure about that or because I just don't see the other possibilities that... I look like a a dangerous or a foolish person to them because I know there are some things. Um, the other the, the the confession part is I look at folks like this and I wonder which ones of them are record collectors um, because I'm a record collector and that's the part of me that likes to go to the state sales. But that's that's a conf- that's a confession as much. Yes. I haven't thought this through well, but maybe maybe.
then somebody else is a disastrous place for me, both mm -hmm. in terms of my influence and for what it does to me. Yeah, it, exactly, exactly. And, and I'm, I'm going to come back a little bit more to that in just a second. Uh, there, is, there is a term for the, the outplaying of certainty in, um, in a public setting, um, and that's called zealotry. And it's the fanatical, uncompromising insistence on implementing those beliefs and the ideals that you're certain about. Um, this comes from... Um, the, the term, well, the term zealot is one that was used in Jesus' time because Simon, one of the apostles, was a zealot. Zealots, about 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, um, got the whole city of Jerusalem torn down because they were, they were this sect of Judaism they were a sect of Judaism that when they got when they got cornered and when it all when it all finally came down they the entire community killed each other because suicide was against Hebrew law so it was like this weird murder suicide religious pact that and this is a, an artist rendering of it. Um, and there's, there's a clear... So, zealotry is certainty in action. And there's a clear path between the two, um, and it goes through what we've called the evil assumption. Because if you cannot possibly be wrong, then anybody who disagrees with you, anybody who opposes you, uh, you, anybody who wants to implement some other possibility or some other take in some other direction, well, those people aren't ignorant. They're not idiots. They just, they're opposing the truth and the right or the righteous way. They're leading people astray. So they're evil, right? I mean, that's, that's a pretty logical way to travel if you are that convinced that you are right and cannot be wrong and if they're in somebody that's evil has to be stopped that's the that's the logic there and this kind of goes this goes to what you were talking about so certainty kills two things in people it kills imagination because there's no need to see things from another perspective if, if you've already settled everything in your mind and you have a complete and thorough understanding of the situation. There's no need to look at it from another angle. There's no need to imagine what if you're wrong. There's no need to look at the world in a different way. I mean, the great thing about imagination is that it allows us not only to see the world as it is, but to see the world as it is not, as it, you know, the world as it could be. Imagination is a very creative way of being wrong. It's, it's a good, it's, it's a way to put being wrong to a good use. Certainty kills imagination. The other thing that it kills is empathy. Because if you are that certain about 
what you believe in, then other people's stories cease to matter. Which means that other people cease to matter. It means that other people exist only for how they relate to or support or oppose whatever it is you're certain about. <laughs> and so certainty at that level, and, and when, when, when you talked about certainty, I noticed you put a qualifier in front of it. There are things that we can be pretty certain about. Did you catch that? Like, not certain, pretty certain. And there are things that we are, we are certain about because of our faith, but we know, we know, that's just, that's where we're willing to put the chips. Right? So, and most of the time, there's, a, there's, there's this tension that we have to live with, which is that we have to act as if we have full certainty of what we're doing with the notion that we might be wrong. And like, So certainty is almost the assumption that you have access to all of the information yep. and all of the opinions that currently exist and all of the, that could yep. exist. That yeah. And, and this, is, this, this goes back to Matthew 7, the judge not that you be not judged, because there's a finality to, there's, there's a finality and a certainty to judging that is different from it's different from having an opinion about the good or the bad of somebody's actions, or um, it's different from going, yeah, we might want to stay away from that person, and it's different from calling somebody out for their behavior. There's finality to judgment that leads to what we've been talking about today. Uh, this calls to mind a couple of thoughts. Um, ambiguity. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember that Google had an article one time, their HR person said, we don't find a lot of people that can work for us because people want certainty and they can't deal with ambiguity. So we test for him. Uh, tolerance to ambiguity. <laughs> and uh, that calls to mind the class that we had with Fletcher um, downstairs about uh, not a lot of people can deal with the mystery of God yeah. and the Holy Spirit. And they don't know how to put that into their worldview or spiritual view. And I think that ties back into what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. is, um, if you can't deal with uncertainty, you can't deal with the Holy Spirit, and you can't deal with ambiguity, so you just turn that off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And again, as, as we talked about how Jesus focuses on community confirmation bias at the beginning, we have things that he does here, and they're very similar. Um, no, we're running out of time, but uh, I'll, I'll just... The reason there's a picture of a kangaroo here is because if I tell you something, your first inclination is to believe it. So if I tell you that kangaroos are very soft. And I know this because I petted one in the gathering room. Your, your, first, your, first your, your, your first inclination is, well, probably did. And when you go downstairs, you will probably associate, you'll probably think of kangaroos when you go downstairs because you'll be in the gathering room and you go, I wonder where the kangaroo was. Right? Another way of looking at that is you can't not believe in Santa Claus unless you believe in Santa Claus first. So you tend to believe, and it's one of the reasons that we have to be careful about what we hear and what we tell ourselves and what we let ourselves hear, because somebody tells you something for a 
just even if it's just for a brief second, you're going to go, I believe that, now let me disprove it. You don't, you don't not believe it and then try to prove it. Minds don't work that way. So where do we put our certainty? Jesus tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbors as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So he, he tells us, look to God for your certainty. Look to other people for your certainty. Not to be certain about what they believe or what they do, but look outside yourself. That when, we, when we come and we think about the commandments, we think about these are things that I need to know. These are things that I need to do. The, thinking, of the ten, thinking of the Ten Commandments it's easy to be self-centered with those. I've got those commandments. But when you look at these commandments, then you've got to take, you got to look outside yourself for your certainty. And that basically keeps you from looking like the guys at the car. Um, I have more of that, but we're also out of time again. So, um, all right, so you've had, you've had 40 minutes to let the spirit work on you. Who's going to moderate the class next week <laughs> while I'm not here? Who's going to, well, for, first let me ask this. Who's going to commit to reading Proverbs this week with this in mind? Because there's lots of good stuff about this in Proverbs. Come on, somebody's got to at least commit to reading Proverbs. Okay, Bill is going to commit to reading Proverbs this week because I've known Bill longer than I've known any of the rest of you. So, sorry, Bill, you're stuck with that part. Would you like to? Would you like to agree to moderate next week's class before I volunteer you for that too? <laughs> would somebody like to promise to help Bill next week so that Bill is not talking by himself the entire class? Yeah, I'll, I'll read Proverbs. Okay, there we go. All right, I got two people reading Proverbs. The rest of you can come and listen to their discussion. I promise you there will be some good stuff in Proverbs about what we talk about because a good chunk of Proverbs is about how people that are convinced they're right behave and how people who take advice, what, what, what to think of from, about people who take advice. So thank you guys very much. I appreciate you coming today. <laughs> Thank you.